What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The Leach Report Radio Network is on the air with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is where the Big Blue Nation comes for the latest news and views on the Cats. The show is served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Interact with the show now by tweeting at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Call us at 877-904-1080. Now, the voice of your Wildcats, Tom Leach. Hello, everybody. Welcome in. It's our Tuesday edition of the Leach Report. And lots to get to today. We're going to chat with Larry Vaught, as we do on Tuesdays, about UK sports. Chris Doring from the SEC Network, the former Florida Gator, whose name came up uh, a few times over the weekend after Kentucky picked off six passes since he caught the game-winning touchdown pass for the Gators when Kentucky intercepted seven passes back in 93. And Doug Flynn is going to be in our leadoff spot today. Uh, talking about uh, Joe Morgan. A lot of Reds fans, obviously, in this area, of which uh, I am one, back to those big red machine days. And Joe Morgan uh, was one of the all-time greats and a, uh, a driving force for that big red machine. And he passed away yesterday at the age of 77. It was sad to see that. And uh, we thought uh, Doug would join us to uh, reminisce a little bit about little Joe. So that's uh, the guest lineup. Wildcat news of the day. Next up, we'll start with Media Monday for Mark Stoops, news conference, then the radio show. He uh, definitely wanted to talk about the play of his defensive line uh, both in both settings um, because two guys in particular that he singled out were Quentin Bohanna and Phil Hoskins for how well that they played, and they didn't rack up a lot of stats. But what they were doing was occupying blockers, getting pressure into the face of the quarterback, and Stoops uh, went out of his way to praise both of them for how well that they played in this game. He uh, talked on the radio show about the running back spot, a little banged up. Uh, A.J. Rose, Chris Rodriguez. I don't think he talked about this at the uh, midday news conference, but um, probably got a medical report after that. Both of them are, uh, I think, expected to to play, but this could mean more of an opportunity for Jutan McLean, who had a big 17-yard run and his only carry. Stoops, uh, I asked him about McLean. He said his attention to detail for a young player is um, through the roof. So that's what has earned McLean an opportunity to get on the field. Then he got a chance to carry the ball. He made a big play, so that just increases the trust that Eddie Grant and Mark Stoops have in him. So you might see a little bigger role for uh, Jutan this week, maybe even uh, Travis Tisdale as well, depending on um, how Rose and Rodriguez are doing. We know that Vassier Smoke's already out with the broken rib. Uh, Speaking of injuries, Stoops seemed optimistic about Josh Paschal being able to come back. Uh, I think he listed him day-to-day at the midday news conference, seemed a little more optimistic when we talked on the radio show. Uh, he's optimistic they'll get Bryce Oliver back. That could be big because Bryce is a guy that's one of the 
types of receivers that uh, you see at, at Tennessee over the years that's 6'1", 6'2", that can go up and uh, fight for a contested catch. We saw Bryce do that the blue-white game a couple of years ago when he had a, a breakout performance. So uh, he's been slowed by a hamstring injury. Hopefully they get him back for Saturday. They will not have tight end Brendan Bates, who had a, a nice uh, 14-yard catch in the game. Uh, he's going to be out for a few weeks, was injured uh, on the run after the catch on that play. Um, Stoops talked about uh, Terry Wilson and the uh, offense. Obviously, they have to get better. Uh, there were uh, several questions from fans that were asking, why didn't Chris Rodriguez get the ball more? And one thing uh, Stoops mentioned, there were a couple of bad decisions by Terry on the read option. Um, also, he said uh, Terry had a couple of throws on bubble screens that he should have made and didn't, and uh, Stoops thought maybe that he lost some trust in the blocking out on the outside. So that's uh, on those receivers, too, where there was that play um, in the first half. They threw the bubble screen out to uh, Josh Ali, and uh, there was a missed block and uh, nearly turned into a disaster for Kentucky. It was ruled an incomplete pass after on review, but initially was uh, called a safety for Mississippi, uh, Mississippi State. So they've got to clean all of that up, and uh, they can't play that way offensively and, and have to rely on the defense to pick off six passes every game, obviously. Uh, and we're talking about Bryce Oliver and those contested catches. Stoops yesterday uh, referenced uh, the big catches, competitive plays that Tennessee receivers made in the game last season and how important that was in the victory for the Vols in a very close game in Lexington. Uh, Stoops... Um, and the uh, guys get to work today, Wednesday. Tuesday and Wednesday are their main practice days uh, for the week of uh, getting everything installed. So they'll get back at it today. Davian Mintz did a uh, call yesterday, a media session with Kentucky Media, talking about his arrival at Kentucky. And uh, one of the things that he talked about was their first practice. And uh, I think if you look through the numbers, one of the things that correlates for John Calipari's team is teams, his best ones were his best shot-blocking teams. And so I was really encouraged hearing Mintz talk in this soundbite now about that aspect of that first practice. Uh, like our first practice, the only thing I can think about when you say a wow moment was the first practice. And it's like I think no one was able to get layups. Like we were <laughs> – I think – it was a moment where someone, I can't remember, someone shot a layup and Lance smacked it off the backboard. Isaiah came back, smacked the same shot off the backboard, and Jacob, like, grabbed it and threw it out of bounds. I know it sounds crazy, but, like, it was it was insane, like, what was going on in there. And this was our first time ever playing together. So, I mean, this is a team where if you're playing against us, no layups. Either you come in and dunk it hard or you better float it or take threes because, I mean, not a lot is going on in that paint. Davian Mintz, we'll uh, hear a little bit more uh, from him when uh, Larry joins us later to talk about that. But for right now, we'll get to a break. It's the Leach Report. We're served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington in Hamburg and in Palomar for breakfast, brunch, or lunch. Doug Flynn, next up on the Leach Report. This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can follow Tom on Twitter. It's at Tom Leach KY. Sixteen past the top of the hour, the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. We bring on Doug Flynn. How you doing, Doug? I'm great, Thomas. How you doing, buddy? I am doing well. Uh, how are mom and dad doing, by the way? 
Well, I appreciate you asking. There, uh, mom had a birthday this past week. She oh. caught up with dad, turned ninety three. So, I think considering everything, they're hanging in there, and uh, you know they're tough. That generation uh, was pretty special. Yes, they they were indeed, and uh, Kentucky fans will uh, remember. Uh, your dad in many roles, but probably uh, toward the latter part of his uh, UK-related career, working uh, press row there at uh, Rupp Arena in the Sweet 16, and uh, made a lot of good friends in the media. Back. Yeah, he told me that he's ready to go back. So. <laughs> I bet he is. You tell him everybody says they, says uh, hi. Uh, uh, he's the best. He said, "Yeah." He said, "When they uh, if they need any extra help this year, just tell them I'm available." I said, "I'll uh, be glad to do that." I uh, miss uh, running into him. He worked out of Keeneland as well, so I'd chat with him about every day in the paddock. Um, well, wanted know, to get you on. I used to, I'm sorry, I used to tease him because he worked at Keeneland, at Kearney. He was doing everything because he loved people. And I said, Dad, if I walk into Walmart and I see you in there greeting people, you and I are going to have a little talk. <laughs> he might have been doing it without getting even getting paid. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, a guy we lost yesterday, uh, Joe Morgan, guy that you played with on the Big Red Machine teams. Um, had to be a, a tough to hear that news. Yeah, and it's getting tough. It seems like today, Tom, because so many ball players get a rough week for the Hall of Fame. When you start looking, and I remember seeing guys that were much older than me that were passing away, and uh, I used to think, "Wow, he was a really good player." and meant so much to the game then all of a sudden it starts hitting a little closer to home uh with guys that you played against and with and you know even our own lou johnson passed away recently yeah. and uh it, you know probably joe was i guess the smartest ball player that i ever played with uh, everything he did was done for a reason i mean he had great instincts obviously he had really good speed but he would keep a notebook on pitchers and how uh, what their time was to first base on a pickoff, uh, how long it took them to throw to the plate, what tendencies they had. So, you know, he, and at five foot seven and 150 something pounds, the guy that was hitting 20 something home runs, two time MVP, he was just an amazing ball player. But I think more than that, uh, when you put him into all the parts that we had with the big red machine, it was pretty special. Were many other players doing that, what he was doing that you talked about, keeping a kind of uh, log? No, that, a lot of them did it in their head. Um, but Joe uh, had a little book that he did. I guess it's something that he started doing early in his career. But most of the guys that I knew, like Pete uh, and Johnny, they would they would have stuff in their head. and It was amazing about that ball club because they could tell you the rotation – on that, like a week in advance, they knew exactly who was going to pitch, and they could prepare themselves probably better than any group I've ever been around. Uh, I think Sparky said at one time, you know, the Big Red Machine, they probably weren't uh, Phi Kappa, whatever, the smartest people in the world <laughs> off the field, but on the field, there wasn't anybody any smarter. And they kind of fed off of each other, too, with the confidence and egos that they had. Each of them knew and tried to outdo the other one. By doing that, they made the team pretty darn good. You know, it's a great lesson for young ballplayers in really not just baseball but any sport when you tell a story like that because you hear that so often. In fact, it's probably universal of about great players. They obviously were, were tremendously gifted. 
you know, blessed to have the talents that they had. But the, when you hear about it, this was true with, with Jordan. I heard people talking about him. The work that they put in and the preparation, you know, the, so the mental and physical uh, work that went into it, along with the talent, made them what they were. Yeah, you're right. And what I learned early when I went down to spring training my first year in 1974 and saw a lot of these superstars, and I thought, man, they're not in shape and. They're not. Uh, I watched them the first time. They take a few ground balls or swings, and I thought, "Well, I was expecting a little more." What I didn't realize is they really took the off season to let their body heal and relax, and they use spring training as a means to get themselves in shape. Whereas, if you're a young player and you're trying to have a, make an impression, you better go down in shape and have all of that taken care of. But uh, you know, they had done it so many times, and they were so close in '70 and '72, and. 73, uh, and then all of a sudden, 75, it really came together for us. And uh, it was a lot of work. Uh, they weren't just guys that threw their gloves out on the field. I mean, these were guys that calculated pretty much everything that they did. And by doing that, they made sure that those of us that were not full-time players, whatever our role was going to be with that group, they made sure that we did it to the best of our ability. So, you know, just watching that every day for, you know, a couple of years, I learned so much from so many great players. Joe Morgan was part of one of the all-time great trades, uh, not just for the Reds, but in yep. baseball history. I was just looking this up. I couldn't remember all the names. but And I was a Reds fan at the time, and, you know, myself and, you know, others that were Reds fans were thinking, oh, no, the Reds traded Lee May and Tommy Helms. What are they thinking? <laughs> Uh, to the Astros, and I think a guy named Jimmy Stewart is a really good pinch hitter, if, if memory serves. And yeah. all they got back was Joe Morgan, Jack Billingham, and Cesar Geronimo. Yeah, that's a shame that that's all they got back <laughs> in that trade. Right. <laughs> and, you know, Geronimo, probably the most underrated player of the whole grade eight in that yeah. he was a four-time gold glove winner, but he was so smooth. He made everything look effortless. And he hit 300 one year. And then, of course, Jack got nicknamed the ace he went back-to-back 19 game winner uh so yeah that the trade was awesome and you know they talk about chemistry and ball clubs and i think the reds were close for so many years and then when they brought over joe who sat you know fit so well right there behind griffey and pete and then you look behind him with all the protection that he had and foster and bench and perez uh it, it was a scary lineup to throw to but Boy, it sure was fun to watch. Somebody said, did you play that much those two years? And I went, no, I played a little more my second year. But I had great seats, and it was really fun to watch. Well, you know, you were, you were playing some second base. You were behind Joe Morgan, so <laughs> nobody <laughs> yeah. nobody was going to get to play much. You know, on that ball club, Tom, when, like in 74, when we looked at our minor league team in Indianapolis, there were a lot of guys, and we just really didn't think that we'd have a chance to play in the big leagues with Cincinnati because they were so set. I mean, yeah. like Ray Knott, Joel Youngblood, uh, Junior Kennedy, Ed Armbrister. There was just a bunch of us that were sitting there kind of waiting. And uh, I'm, I'm just thankful that, you know, I had a great spring in 75 and it got me an opportunity to be around those guys. And, you know, I tell you, nobody's milked it any more than I have, those two <laughs> World Series, buddy. I'm <laughs> very thankful and very blessed. Gold glove uh, when you got your opportunity. So uh, it was. It was uh, that just kind of tells you. I mean, you had a, you had a uh, you know a gold glover waiting in the wings like yourself and a lot of other guys you just mentioned. So that's what made that team so great. Is uh, there was just so much uh, talent and, uh, and, and it was 
Well, you know, as, as a you know somebody in the media, and of course, you guys were all around for so many years coming up. I remember in those days with you know Tom Hammond and Fitz Morris and you and all kinds of guys. I mean, it was like it was our team. And all of a sudden, when I made it, we kind of had Lexington had a piece of it. That's right. And just watching you guys come up, and you all were having as much fun with it, I think, as I was. <laughs> and so uh, that's true. <laughs> I tell people, I say, that's what's the best part about it? The best part is I was able to share it with so many friends and family from back home. And it wasn't like, you know, you're bragging. It was like, hey, guys, we all made it. So uh, let's enjoy it. And, and we did for a few years. But, you know, sad news today when I heard about Tom Seaver a little while back. And then you Bob, know, Gibson, Bob Gibson, Lou Brock. Bob became a good friend. Um, and then, of course, Lou. Lou, was, Lou and my dad had some history together back with the Hustlers. And oh, okay. my first trip to Los Angeles in 1975, I remember this guy came in with this big wide brim hat in the locker room, and all he was saying was, where's Flynn? Where's Flynn? And he came over to me, and he said, you know who I am? And I looked up and saw that ear, and I went, slick, I'll be. And it was Lou Johnson. He made it a point to come see me and to say hello. And, of course, he came into our golf tournament while he was able to for several years, so yeah, it, it's a sad day. I'm I'm spending a couple of days with Marty Brenneman. We've had a, a chance to oh, talk good. about it quite a bit. Marty and Joe really, really close. Really close. So it's hit Marty pretty hard. We'll give Marty our best, too. And I thank you for doing this. And you got another thing to get to, so we'll let you go. Thank you, Doug. I appreciate it. Thank you, buddy. That is Doug Flynn. We'll be right back with Larry Vaughn. It's the Leach Report Radio Network, served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Coming up next, it's Kentucky Sports Radio with Matt Jones. Coming up on the bottom of the hour on this Tuesday edition of the Leach Report, uh, Mark Stoops yesterday on the uh, radio show we talked about his trip up to uh, Cincinnati to visit uh, Chris Oates. Um, with John Sumrall and Vince Merrill from the staff. They took Chris the game ball, and Stoops was asked if he thought uh, Chris Oates could uh, return to play at some point. He said he thought that he would. So, Larry Vaught, that was good to hear. It was great to hear, Tom. Uh, uh, Even if it's optimistic on Mark's part, just knowing that he's even thinking that possibility is really, really good. I've been reading a few things from the Oates family, and it seems like finally everything's kind of taken a positive turn for Chris, and that's just outstanding news. Yeah, and just so appropriate that Jamin Davis, wearing Chris's number, had a big game, and Kentucky won by 22. Yeah, didn't quite get the John Short 25 big in prediction, but I think all things considered, 22 is a really good number. We rounded up to 25. It was close enough. Yeah, in uh, honor of John, it'd be good, yeah. That's right. Larry Vaughn with us on the KentuckyHepWorks.com online. We'll continue the chat in just a moment here on the Leach Report Radio Network. You're tuned to Talk Radio 1080 and The Leach Report. And visit TomLeachKY.com for more news and views on the Cats. Back with Larry Vaught on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline uh, chatting about UK sports. Um, and, Larry, yesterday you were part of the uh, media group that had a chance to uh, listen in to uh, Davian Mintz. And um, got a couple of things we'll uh, have him uh 
have Shannon play here. And the first one's a question you asked him about playing with uh, Devin Askew. Uh, so uh, hit uh, Mints one there, Shannon, and we'll listen. And Larry, uh, yes, and we'll let Larry comment on uh, Davian Mintz talking about playing with uh, incoming freshman Devin Askew. You know, having Devin there, having a guy who's uh, who's you know very ambitious, who, who who works hard, who's who's in the gym like myself, and like he's just it's just like looking in the mirror every day. Somebody who really wants to go hard, and it's, it's super fun playing against him because uh, I know he's going to compete every day. So, I mean, that's what it is. I was really impressed with uh, Mince's answers yesterday, Larry. Kyle Tucker and I talked with him on a show back shortly after he committed, but it's the first time I'd heard him talk in more detail since then. And he was very impressive. Yeah, I, I, I'd talked to him once before, but he handled things great yesterday. I thought it was kind of interesting they picked him to go first in the series of uh, Zoom calls they're going to do with, with media members, which I think kind of told me just how impressed they are with everything that, that Davion is doing. And I talked to Joel Justice a few weeks ago uh, when I was writing a, a preview for Blue Ribbon Basketball Yearbook, and, and obviously he has a good relationship with Davion, one of the big reasons I think he's here. But it, just everything that uh, Joel said about his competitive nature and things like that, and to hear Davion say that when he goes against Devin, it reminds him of the same thing. That's pretty impressive, and from all I hear, I think those two guys get along great, and that's really important because I think they're going to share a lot of playing time. Maybe they'll even find a way to get on the court some together, too, because I think they both shoot the ball really well. Yeah, and when you add in Clark and Boston, that's uh, an interesting group of, of four guys you could kind of you know mix and match into different roles. You know, Mintz and, and Askew kind of effectively have two point guards. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how John – works out that's one thing that he's done really great has been able to find a way if he's got guards that can play he doesn't just pigeonhole them into saying well i can only play one of them because they're both kind of point guards he finds a way to get them both on the court and it works out really well so i think it's going to give kentucky a lot of versatility this year with those guys Mintz uh, also we'll get one other soundbite here talked about uh his choice to come to kentucky and uh how he knows it's a, a good one I immediately thought after a few weeks that, you know, this is one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. And even so far, I mean, just coming in, challenging myself, getting better every day, no matter how it turns out, like, there's no way I can lose. I've gotten so much better just by being here for a few months, and that's all I ask for. Uh, Everything else is a bonus, just, you know, me coming in, being better every day, and becoming a better basketball player. That's, That's what I wanted, and that's what I'm getting so far. Larry, I know Cal uh, was not a big fan of, of uh, the grad transfer concept when it first started emerging, but it sure does seem like it's a, a great thing for uh, a program like his that has so much turnover and so much youth in it that to get a guy like you know Reed Travis and then Sestina and now Davian Mintz to come into your program that can that is good enough to, to play and that can also give you some great leadership. Yeah, and I also think Tom, it tells you how good that John is at, at adjusting and being flexible in what he thinks. Because sometimes coaches can be a little stubborn and they won't no. change no matter what. He, he may not have liked it, but he's embraced it and used it to his benefit because the rules there. Everybody else has used it. You might as well use it, and that's one of the things I think that John has done really, really well. In fact, I, I know when I, 
when Jay Lucas when we had a chance to talk to him, had a chance to talk to him a couple of weeks ago, and he said that's one thing that John has told him he wants him on top of this new anticipated rule where transfers can can have immediate eligibility. That he wants him on top of that right now because he knows that's coming and how much that's going to change recruiting as well. Saw a story in the Athletic where uh, Anthony Davis was FaceTiming with DeMarcus Cousins in the uh, joyous Laker locker room after they uh, won the title on Sunday night. And I guess there's a chance DeMarcus, since he was part of the Lakers, didn't play for them, but got hurt, but he was part of the Lakers uh, before the season started, that he could end up getting a ring. So there could be a fourth Kentucky connection for a a ring out of this. And uh, you had a, a story up at vaultsviews.com about Davis. Yeah, yeah, Anthony was really, really excited. I uh, got to listen to the post-game press conference with him and just talk about what this is going to do for his legacy now that he knows this is something that, that's there forever. I mean, it's pretty cool. I think he's the first Kentucky player to have a NCAA, an NBA, and an Olympic championship. I mean, that's that's a pretty impressive trio of, of things right there, and this makes me think to go back and, and talk about when he was in high school and the team he played for, Tom, was just terrible. I don't know if you ever had a chance to see him, but I had a chance to see him play twice, and me and you may have been the second and third best players on his team <laughs> if we'd been playing, but playing with him. But Anthony, and, a, and just a little bit of a small, crowded gym, but Anthony and his parents wanted to stay at that school for different reasons, and it just shows that, yeah, it can work for some guys to go to the elite prep schools and do things like that. But for other guys, it works out just fine staying right where they are and, and staying grounded like they have. And couldn't be happy for him and his family. Glad his dad was there to get to share that with him. I, I got tickled after this uh, game, game a little bit later, and they were asking Anthony what he said to his father. I don't know if you saw this or not um, after the solo. And he said he couldn't remember. He already had too much champagne. <laughs> Well, good for him for getting to celebrate. Uh, quick thought on Kentucky-Tennessee football game. Been a lot of frustrations in this series over the years. What can Kentucky do to get out of there with a win? Well, I, I don't know, but anything that can that can change, it can't hurt. I know when Mark was talking yesterday about change, it had some changes in mind. It didn't really say what they were, but for game week for Tennessee, and I thought to myself, well, I don't care what, what it does, it can't hurt because they haven't won there in, what, 37, 38 years now? 1984. So yeah, so it can't hurt to change things around. But mainly, when you go back and look at all the frustrations against Tennessee, to me, Tom, it's always more of what Kentucky does to itself than what Tennessee does to Kentucky. They just need to play a good, solid game against Tennessee, especially in Knoxville, something they certainly didn't do two years ago when I thought for sure they would win. So I, I don't know, and I think Tennessee's a better team than it was last year when it came into Lexington and won. So I would like to think Kentucky get this turned around, but they're going to have to get the offense and defense on the same page for the first time this year. And Tennessee looks pretty good to be better than what I thought they would be, to be honest. Larry Vaught, thank you much. All right, Tom. Larry, Larry Vaught joins us on uh, Tuesdays here on the Leach Report. You can uh, read his coverage of the Cats at vaughtsviews.com. We'll be right back with Chris Doring of the SEC Network. Look for the Leach Report on Facebook. Show updates, contests, and other cool stuff. Check it out today. We go back to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. Bring on Chris Dorig of the SEC Network, former Florida Gator, and uh, I told him before 
uh, we started the interview that um, his ears were probably burning because Kentucky with six interceptions on Saturday against Mississippi State. It was the most since they picked off seven. Still lost a game to Florida in 93, unfortunately, when some guy named Doring caught the touchdown pass. So <laughs> <laughs> It's funny, man, because I, I feel like everybody in, in the uh, Lexington area is starting to maybe soften on their stance towards me. And then here you go trying to bring up old wounds, man. Not helping my cause. Well, you've, you've said such good things about the Wildcats. And uh, curious to where you what you think through three games, uh, having seen them bounce back strong, at least on the defensive side, last Saturday. It's been such a weird year. I mean, you know, I was really all in on Kentucky in the preseason. And even after watching, you know, their first two ball games, I felt like they had, you know, done what was necessary to win those games with the exception of protecting the football. Now, I know that's a huge part of, of playing successful football, but – uh, they outgained Auburn. I thought they dominated points of that game. Uh, Ole Miss, they had the Rebels down, you know, two touchdowns and, and let them off the hook. So I just think it was less about the opponent and more about cleaning up their own things. Now, um, you brought up the, the, the offense, or you, you alluded to the fact the offense may not have done their part, but football is a three-phase sport, and sometimes you're going to have to have one side compensate for the other. And in this instance, uh, the defense that had not created a turnover uh, in the first two ball games able to get six in that game, including another pick six against KJ Costello. So uh, I think they, you look at a couple things they righted uh, that they were uh, really feeling down about. One, it was the turnovers limited to uh, their turnovers to only one, end up plus five in the turnover margin. And then, uh, you know, I thought they did a better job with the penalties that had killed them in the first couple weeks of the season and, uh, and at least defensively. Um, you know, coming up uh, a, a little more stout and, and more like what we expected from the uh, Wildcat defense. As far as the offensive struggles, uh, do you attribute uh, a sum or a good percentage of that to the unusual scheme Mississippi State plays and how well they've been playing it? Well, are you, are you talking about Kentucky's offense? And, and yeah, Kentucky's offense there? struggling, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, they only had 53 plays. I mean, you know, uh, Mississippi State had 84 plays. So uh, when you're getting the ball that little on offense you have to make the most of it but at the same time you think about it you know Kentucky had a uh, pick six as I mentioned they had another one that they returned down to you know close to the goal line that that set them up uh, with a short field scoring opportunity with with very little yards needed Um, so I I do have a little bit of concern especially throwing the football although they didn't um, take many opportunities to throw the football I I, I just think um, it was it's been a very uneven year offensively I, I thought they had uh, great balance in the first game against Auburn. Uh, you come back against Ole Miss, run the ball, you know, pretty much at will. And and I don't. I said at the time, I don't think I've ever seen a team run for over 400 yards and lose. And then uh, come back here, and uh, I, I don't think I've ever seen a team put up 157 yards of offense and win. So I, I think it's been a really odd year to this point in time for the Wildcats. Let's uh, talk a little bit about their opponent for this Saturday, uh, the Tennessee Vols, who um, were up on Georgia early, and then uh, Georgia. And crushed them in the second half. What do you see? Uh, what's your evaluation of Tennessee through the first three games? Yeah, I thought, I thought that the game against Georgia was was going to be a good litmus test of how far they've come in the last couple of years under Jeremy Pruitt, uh, a team that they're trying to build much like uh, Georgia and what Kirby's been able to do there. Um, yeah, I thought defensively, Tennessee answered the bell. I mean, in the first half, they get a, a fourth down stop out in the field. Then they get a goal line stand right before the half. Um, they were thrown into two sudden change situations where the offense turned the football over in uh, in their own territory, and they were able to force field goals on, on two different occasions. So I thought the defense kind of stood up to the test 
offensively, the offensive line was awful. Um, if you go back and look, and this was an offensive line that I was very high on, especially after Cade Mays was, was added to the lineup or given eligibility to play this year. Um, they, they looked confused at times. They let three rushers come through. The running backs uh, didn't do a great job of uh, picking up their, their, uh, their, their guys in protection. Uh, obviously didn't run the ball very well, finished with a, a negative one-yard total on the day. So uh, the offense, the biggest play were just contested catches uh, where, where George actually had pretty good coverage. Josh Palmer caught a couple of them for touchdowns in the first half. But uh, they have some, some work to do on the offensive line, that's for sure. You mentioned contested catches for the Tennessee receivers. That was uh, a big issue in their win here last year. They had three or four of those that were huge plays in the game. And uh, it would seem that... Um, going to be a lot of pressure on the Kentucky secondary to find a way to uh, make their share of plays on the ball in those situations, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's what the biggest criticism I had for Kentucky secondary through the first uh, two games of the season was, you know, there were times that they were in good coverage, uh, multiple times against Auburn where Seth Williams went up and made plays. Uh, same thing against uh, against Ole Miss. I just think that they, they weren't playing the ball in the air very well. Obviously, allowing far too many touchdown completions I think what was the statistic? They, they allowed nine all year last year and gave up seven in the first two games. Right. So, uh, uncharacteristic of, of them. But I do think that um, I saw some, some improvement. I thought the game plan uh, was a little bit different, trying to keep everything underneath. And, and uh, they played fast and physical. When, when, when the Mississippi State receivers caught the ball, they rallied on the football. They, uh, they, they punished the ball carriers, and I thought that was a good plan. Um, I, they, clearly, Tennessee doesn't have the same guys, the athleticism, uh, the height, the size, Juwan Jennings and Marquez Callaway, those were two very talented guys, especially going up and getting 50-50 balls. So uh, I, I want to see Kentucky play the ball in the air better than what they did last year, what they did in the first two games of the season. But I don't think they're going to be tested the same way they were last year by the ball's receivers. What do you make of the uh, <laughs> the league with I think seven teams had 40 or more points on Saturday? I think there were nine with 30 or more. How about that? The, the average uh, scoring uh, per team was 33.7 points, I believe, and that was with Mississippi State scoring two and Vanderbilt scoring seven. So they definitely brought down the uh, the average. But uh, it, it is a unique time in the SEC. Um, it, it's probably going to sound weird coming from me, a former offensive guy, but I, I, I don't know that I like this necessarily. Um, I'd like to see a little bit of balance. Uh, as I look at it, you know, the defensive performance from – from Kentucky was strong, uh, but they've had their moments, including last week giving up 42 to Ole Miss. Uh, Georgia's really been the only consistent team I've seen in the league that that has the uh, the dominant defenses that we you know saw just a couple of years ago in this conference. So uh, I, I think that the key now is is you know if you have these these powerful offenses, at least have a middle of the conference defense and and, and be able to get a couple stops in a game, and, and you got a great chance to to win nowadays. Let me uh, peek ahead to next week. Uh, coaches and players don't have that luxury, but uh, we can since we've got you here on the show uh, today. What about uh, Georgia has impressed you most through these first three games? Well, the defense we knew was going to be incredibly good heading into the season. They lived up to the billing. And, and something I said on Monday morning on our uh, show with uh, Peter Burns is like, I, I, think, yeah, I said, name, name a couple Georgia defenders. I mean, there's, there's not a lot of guys that come to mind. Obviously, Monty Rice had a big game. On Saturday, and you think of Richard LeCount, uh, but th- there's really it's not the the headliners that we've come to know from Georgia's defense in the past. What they do is they roll a bunch of different guys in there. Uh, they all play very similarly. They're well coached. They play their assignments extremely well. 
and they play team defense. I mean, I think that's the thing that stood out to me the most is just how how well they play as a group. And I think they kind of like being a little under the radar in terms of individual uh, accolades and acknowledgments. And, and I think that that along with the improvement that I've seen on the offensive line in the last two weeks, that was a big uh, thing that I think all stood out to us in the first half of that Arkansas game, their inability to run. And maybe now that says a little bit more about Arkansas's improvement this year too, but I do think you know the dominant performance uh, on the lines of scrimmage in uh, the Auburn and Tennessee games I've really changed my opinion of, of that offense. And specifically, you know, if, if I talk about the entire team as a whole, I now think that they're probably the most well-rounded team in the SEC. Chris Doring, you can hear him on SiriusXM on the SEC Network and also see him on the SEC TV Network every weekend. Thank you for the time. Anytime, Tom. Thanks, man. And it's Chris Doring on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. Go to their website, KentuckyHempWorks.com. You'll see... A very colorful face mask that you can buy, and it has a phone number on it that is a number to the state legislature's hotline where you can show your support for the hemp industry in Kentucky and help it grow and expand here in our state, help family farms. Kentucky Hemp Works is a Kentucky proud family operation down in Christian County. They grow and produce hemp into CBD oil, hemp seed oil, products for fishermen that are made from hemp seeds, hemp infused body lotion, etc. You can see it all at KentuckyHempWorks.com, more than just CBD. Check out, check them out on all the social media platforms, too. TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, etc. We'll be right back on the Leach Report Radio Network. This day of 2007, Kentucky took down the number one team in the nation. Kentucky beat LSU in three overtimes, 43-37. to Had to come from behind in the second half to do it. Stevie Johnson had the winning touchdown catch, and then Braxton Kelly with the clinching tackle on the LSU running back to set off the celebration. That was on this day in 2007. Kentucky and Georgia is going to be a night game next Saturday at Kroger Field. We just don't know exactly what time. It'll be 7 p.m. on ESPN or 7.30 Eastern on the SEC Network. And Vandy at Missouri postponed this week because of some COVID-19 issues for the Commodores. They uh, are going to reschedule that one for December the 12th. Question from Dylan at uh, leachreport at gmail.com. Where does Tennessee rank in passing? Uh, Dylan says, I know Kentucky struggles with the pass this year. Didn't so much last week against Mississippi State, but to your question, Tennessee at the moment ranks 11th in uh, yards per game in passing at 222, uh, completing 63% of their passes, four TDs, one pick so far this season. Uh, if you are a football fan that likes to really get deep into the analysis of the X's and O's, uh, there's a really interesting read from Andy Staples at The Athletic. It's the kind of story that they do at The Athletic where they go really in-depth on something. And this is about what Ole Miss is doing to stress opposing defenses. And there's a lot of concepts from the, according to the story from the Baylor offense when uh, Art Bryles was running it there, and it has to do with how wide their receivers are setting up, and it uh, forces the defense into some situations that it can't disguise its coverages the way that it would like to. And uh, Mark Stoops would say amen to all of this. That, but it's, I think you come away, if you read this, you come away 
uh, I know I did thinking eh, the Kentucky defense probably played a little better than it gets credit for against Ole Miss, and that'll uh, be probably more evident as the season rolls along for the Rebels. So that's at the Athletic. Well, uh, Ryan Lemon sitting in for me tomorrow with Chris Fisher and Kyle Tucker. Have a good day, everybody. Make sure you check out the podcast page at TomLeachKY.com whenever you miss a show. And be sure to follow the Leach Report Facebook page. If you have a question for Tom, email it to leachreport at gmail.com. See you next time, right here on The Leach Report.